Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And rescueswimmershop.com, official high quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razor, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they help. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. Our next guest, coming to us from Germany, currently working with Viking Helicopters, which he does in a very unique role there. 
He not only is it search and rescue, it's also harbor pilot transfer. It's moving guys in and off the wind farms offshore. It's amazing. Some of the stories that we talk about here are fantastic, and I, I've loved it. He goes like way back before he even started flying, and then into the helicopter world that he's at now. Please welcome Mr. Simon Crimser. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I've got with my, my first official German, Mr. Simon Kremzer. Kremzer? Kremzer. 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 Kremser, Kremser. Yeah, What's that's, up, that's Simon? Okay. That's, okay. that's okay? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, good. Sorry, I jacked up your name. It's, it's sorry. <laughs> no problem. All right, good. Well, welcome to uh, The Real Rescue, man. Thank you for, for being willing to come on and join us and kind of give us a little bit, some stories from you guys over in Germany. This is going to be amazing. I'm stoked. Yeah, thank you for your invitation. Absolutely. Um, so with that, if you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit to everybody and a little bit of background about who you are and how you got into search and rescue. Um, I'm, yeah, my name is Sam Kremser. I'm the, at the moment the chief hoist operator of Viking Helicopter Service in uh, northern Germany. So it's a civil company who provides um, sea pilot service, uh, offshore rescue, wind turbine stuff. And yeah, so my way into search and rescue there, or it's not really search and rescue, it's an offshore ham helicopter, um, lets me over mountain rescue. So I'm originally from the southern part of Germany, so near Munich. And uh, my whole family was always in the volunteer mountain rescue team there. So was was never a question for me to join that. So <laughs> since I can think, I was always up to join that team. And then, yeah, at the age of 16, I started my apprenticeship as an aircraft mechanic in the German Air Force and joined at the same time the Bavarian Mountain Rescue Team, the volunteer rescue team, and had then really in the same month, I had my, I started my apprenticeship and I did my first um, or a basic air rescue training with the old UE. Wow. That, that's where it all started from, yeah. Wow. So family history of rescue. And you just fell right into it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So then in that case, I, like, how did you get, um, or I'm going to get to your first case here, but was your first case like while you were a mountain rescue or helicopter rescue? Uh, it's, <laughs> I had always, uh, I, I was always very interested in, in aircrafts and uh, my father was, was in a mountain rescue team and I was, when I, when I could, I, I joined their um, air rescue trainings and looked at, at, at what, whatever I could see. So I was always standing out there and freezing and looking to Huey going in and out for, for the training sorties, uh, even as a kid. And so, uh, yeah, it was, so that was the point where both, both of those interests matched with, with air rescue. So I was pretty early um, thinking and reading and whatever I could about uh, helicopter hoist rescues and stuff. I mean, my uh, technical, or where I started technically as an aircraft mechanic was fast jets. So I worked on tornado um, fighters, but um, I run, run all simultaneously. So I was 
doing this mountain rescue stuff and working under the weekend on the fast jets. Wow. Nice. And, and you mentioned uh, military. So you jumped into the military to, to learn how to be a crew chief there? No, it was, um, I was a civil contractor at the Air Force. So I did my apprenticeship uh... around there for three and a half years. So they normally do, you, you're way too young to be um, a soldier. So we started there at the age of 16. And only you do then your uh, apprenticeship. And afterwards, uh, you can apply as a soldier or not. And um, when I, so we started with 20, 20 guys in the, at the year. Yep. So every year, 20 guys start. And the group, my group was five guys. And they all wanted to study to go the, um, after, after the apprenticeship. And um, I applied as a jet pilot, actually. Nice. 2009, but um, it was really a crazy time, especially for the German military, because it all all went down. It did really feel like they want to close up the military, even if they were actually still in Afghanistan. So many many guys I knew they applied, they, um, they didn't got a good job, so they were just um, stuff like an IT or so, or the basic infantry soldiers were 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 they searching for. So, um, so the military was no, no option for me. And I thought, okay, may, may I have, uh, have to study as well. And then, uh, got back to school and then, yeah, it was way too boring for me. <laughs> and then I met some guys and asked, Hey, what, what do you want to study after? So they say, yeah, I, I want just to have a better chance to get a job as an aircraft mechanic or apprenticeship as an aircraft mechanic. I say, oh, I already have that. And it was fun. <laughs> so why not? Uh, why don't go back for that? And this time next to school, I was working in this, I don't know if you know, this hoist training or air rescue training facility in Bad Hills from the Bavarian Mountain Rescue Team, where they build oh. a, a helicopter nacelle on uh, on a big crane that's 50 meters high and they it's, it's like a, a big hole and they can drive the helicopter around and with a real hoist operator in it and a pilot who who um, drives the crane and was or is responsible for the technique and that wow. was built i don't know i don't, don't remember the time but i was i was was basically next to the house of my parents and uh, they asked me hey you have a technical background you know about helicopter stuff would you like to to do this just technical parts so just driving the crane basically and i did <laughs> this for a long time and their concept was always to have this just crane drive or a technical guy who's driving the crane playing the pilot a real hoist operator so they always used uh, people from the operators just to build up the connection between the mountain rescue teams and the operators yeah and a guy who just lets the course and uh, so we spent a lot of time with the with the hoist operators from the actual operators in this nacelle driving around there for eight hours doing hoist cycles a lot and there met some guys from the federal police and said hey we're searching for aircraft mechanics and uh, it would be nice with your background. Are you interested? So I started there working also as a civil contractor for the federal police then. And um, they used me a lot also as a, because of my background as an air rescue guy for the hoist trainings of their hoist operators. So because it was <laughs> handy to have someone who could go on the hook at their airfield just when they need it. And yeah, from, from there, then um, I got a little bit fed up with the, the government agency again. <laughs> <laughs> really 
stiff and uh yeah so uh and again in this in this training facility i talked to um, to another old military saw hoist operator which i really like so it was for me kind of kind of mentor and we talked about options and i said hey you know some pilots of my old squadron they're flying at viking helicopters and they do this this storm sea pilot flying and they're already happy so I immediately Googled the, the company and I said, they're searching for aircraft mechanic and hoist operators. And like three weeks later, I signed a contract and <laughs> started there. So now you're working with the Viking. I love it. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, convenient enough, you and I know some of the same people, Kim Gramishu being one of them. Yep. Love Kim. Yeah, yeah she's still already, she, she left the company. Um, now she's um, flying through a thou. Yep, yep, she certainly is. And living on the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, Kim. But um, no, that, that's pretty awesome. So now, see so you, you're a hoist operator. Is Do you go down on the hook as well in all your training? So you're a rescueman as well on the hook or just hoist operations or winch operations? No. Um, so normally our hoist operators, they, they from time to time to go on the hook. Um, but normally they're, they're the hoist operator. So our rescue men are licensed pararescue men in Germany. And, uh, we have also, we, we always go out with emergency doctor. So I go on the hook as, as often as I can. And because of the, um, I'm the chief hoist operator involved in a lot of training. So I'm, I'm often, I have the opportunity and I use it if I can, especially on an external training. So uh, we, we also providing external training for, for companies who want to start with hoisting and stuff. And um, they usually go with a, with a colleague for the advanced course. And if I can, I'm, I'm very happy to, to go down on the hook again. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Very nice. All right. So now you've been doing this for quite a long time. Do you remember your very first rescue? Yeah, that was uh, also a 16. So, um, so just even if this mountain rescue team is a volunteer team, so it takes you at when I started two years, if you really are on the courses to, to be a ready mountain rescue team member. Now I think it's three years. So I was, Pretty at the beginning, so that just my basic um, medic training, and so it's just a small, small course, two two weeks course, a uh, weekend course. And um, the first thing was just after lunch, and uh, they say there's a girl which is uh, lost consciousness after she fall on her head. So it was like <laughs> oh, <laughs> that as the first thing. And uh, there's there's was a small cottage where where our team is based in this skiing area so in the winter and you had two sides of the mountain so two ski lines and for the one you can just jump out of the cottage just put on your skis and um, go and for the side where she was you have to run up a hill 150 meters <laughs> and then go on your skis take the, the rescue skid and then go so just after lunch <laughs> you run up the hill with, the, with your skiing boots and your skis on to cramp and up. your medic pack and so it was <laughs> close to vomiting there and then yeah but when we arrived there she was already up again so it seems like just just when she fell on her head that she passed out for some seconds and and we packed her into the slit and brought it down the hill uh so the the so when you say ski like literally snow ski like you're hiking up a mountain that's got snow on it and then you're snow skiing down to save her yeah it's not not the whole mountain so you you go up with the with the cable car but it's so there's just 
yeah, this this cottage. Yeah, I think is it is it in English, where we we spend our um, standby time, and it was a little bit down the hill from from top where you have to choose when you can only skiing left or right, uh, back or front side of the hill of the mountain. Yeah, and so if you if you get a call out for the backside, you had to run up this just two hundred meters always. <laughs> to, to get your your, ski, uh, your rescue skid and go down the other side oh that's and, awesome yeah it wasn't that <laughs> because at this time i was physically very fit but it doesn't matter when you're just in the super chilled mode or you you're full of food and then you have to run up the hill with all the equipment it was i, I always thought hey you're not fit enough because that never feel never feels uncomfortable <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but, <laughs> It never got. It doesn't matter if I run sixty kilometers a week or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Yeah. Did she end up being okay? Yeah. Good deal. What's it, man? That's pretty awesome. Like, uh, you know, I actually I don't I haven't talked to anybody really that does a lot of mountain rescue like that where you're on skiing down, loading the patient up in like a sked, and and then next thing you know, you're like skiing down the mountain back and forth to to get her down that's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah. in, in southern germany it was the most interesting thing to do as a volunteer because we have also rescue swimmers and i joined that before i was 16 because uh, 16 was the minimum age for the mountain rescue team but it's just big lakes and rivers and you look people getting sunburned and once in a while you they search for a dead body i mean oh. a big flooding they have to do a lot so but that was not not a, what I wanted to do. And uh, the mountain rescue teams, it was pretty cool because even as a volunteer, you had, yeah, you, you could do, or you had to do a lot on the patient itself because most of the other volunteer organizations, they, you're the first responder and then you wait for the professionals. And then and the mountain rescue team is often the case that you have to bring them for one and a half hours or two hours to the professionals. And that wow. was the interesting thing that you could do as a three guy team or so that you have to bring relatively um yeah, severe injuries like broken legs or so you did this all by yourself you put the uh how to say uh, yeah and put them in the vacuum mattress and put them down and it's all by yourself and that was, was really <laughs> interesting yeah i know the feeling <laughs> <laughs> By yourself, you're like, I got there's a lot of work to be done here by myself. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, nice. or, or, or if you arrive there and you think, oh yeah, he's very injured and need a helicopter, and you look up and you're already in the clouds and you think, oh fuck. We might have to pitch a tent for the night and uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, so you mentioned rescue swimmer as well. So with all the lakes and rivers and stuff, what does that entail? Yeah, I did not, not much with it. So it was just 15 at this time. And I did, I did just the, the, the training there. It was just to, to bridge the gap for, uh, for the uh, mountain rescue team. But um, yeah, and it's, and I don't know if so I can't say what they, they regularly do, but um, we had last year, no, this year we had a big flooding in Germany. So um, pointed out again that it would be, uh, or it is important to have just, just uh, hoist qualified rescue swimmers available. 
because absolutely there are, yeah there are some organizations organizations who have them already but yeah it pointed out again that they they need some of them and they need them probably equipped as well <laughs> yeah good idea I'm just gonna throw that out there as a rescue swimmer, it, I, you know. it was a funny thing because before i left just just in the year where i left the federal police and moved to viking it was a very big flooding as well and they uh, deployed also this volunteer rescue swimmer groups there yeah and they had usually all wetsuits and then they had this, uh, they deployed them also next to gas stations and whatever. So they found out they had a lot of problems with skin irritations from the fuel and from the shit when they went next to this clear, clearing stations or so. Yeah. And they uh, it would be nice for next time to have dry suits. So then it was 2013. <laughs> the next flooding was now 2021. Wow. And guess what? They all had wetsuits <laughs> <laughs> and it went down on the fuel again. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. We told you the last time. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's funny. All right. So now you're in the helicopter world and at, what have you guys had for rescues in the helicopter world? Oh, um, yeah, it's, I don't know if just it's something super special. So um, we're providing a, it's more like a, a industrial plant rescue. So we are not um, first line SAR in Germany. So there are two companies in Germany who provide for the offshore wind farms to first line um, or a rescue service for this for this wind farms. And so there are not that many calls and and some point it gets usual so i'm just thinking about what there's one one case definitely where i remember where <laughs> i had maybe a little bit of overconfidence problem <laughs> with my pilot that was an interesting one it happens um, go ahead I'm, I'm all ears <laughs> um yeah it was um it was back when i started it was pretty nice because we used the same helicopter for the sea pilot service uh as for the for the rescue service uh, 76 Oh, nice. And um, the cool thing was we were all very, very proficient in hoisting at storm because during the sea pilot shifts, you so when the, when the wave height is above two meters, we, uh, we serve nearly every ship which is approaching or leaving the German North Sea with, with their sea pilot. So you had, uh, you had a storm shift, night shift, you had easily 15 hoist cycle to a ship at storm um, to bring the sea pilots on it. So you're very proficient in it same as the pilots and in this case at my my last shift before that i had the storm shift night shift with the same pilot so we we did some some cool stuff and are pretty happy with it and then we um we had this hem shift and then there was a call from the coordination center say hey, we have a guy who got a, a latch on his head it's bleeding pretty bad it doesn't look super bad but they would like to have him in the hospital within the next hour and the weather was questionable and but the storm was over. So, and I said that the, the captain asked us if we could hoist him off the ship. And we, we both looked at us and said, why shouldn't we? The storm is over. It's just three meters wave. Yeah. What type of ship is it? Yeah. 70 meter offshore supply wrestling. Like, easy. Oh, huge. Easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. No problem. <laughs> and I checked the weather and the weather was the, the biggest question mark for us. <clears throat> But because of the head injury, we said, okay, we will try it. And uh, it was pretty low cloud base at night. 
So um, when we when we descended, we did kind of a radar airborne approach, like we have, we just descended uh, on the base on the radar to the point of to the coordinate and contact was not an official radar airborne approach at this time. It's still not not uh, um, not a legal procedure in Germany. Okay. And so, but it was a severe head injury. So um, the doctor said it would be nice to have. And so we said, okay, we, we try it and say, okay, well, he will descend to 400 feet. And if you don't see the ocean, then we go back to, to base. And just at 400 feet, we could see the ocean and the lights of the ship. It's like, hey, we continue from that. And there were two um, very it's bright. It's a great little safety margin in there, by the way. I, I really like that. We're going to come down to 400. If we don't see it, we bail, we go home. If we see it, we continue. That, I like that. Yeah, but everyone is in the, on the window. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Your face is glued to the side of the window. Where's yeah. that ocean? I want to see that ocean. <laughs> uh, and then, then we had two very bright vessels at the same, same location. I was okay. Um, first, we tried. We, we approached it first. Of course, it was the wrong ship. Well, we why wouldn't the, it be the right ship? <laughs> we had, went to the next ship, and the, the ship was pretty close to the wind farm. And um, as the wind was coming, it was not not perfect because uh, if we had emergency and had to fly away, it was heading towards the, the wind farm, which is usually above 700 feet so we would have to gain speed turn before the wind farm and then go away oh wow and so we say okay um should we ask them to go further away from the wind farm or not and i would say it would be nice to have a little bit more fuel spare at this weather so we tried at this position and like this normal offshore vessels you have this very low deck and then this this high um high bridge very high bridge pulling yeah and um before we we went out, we looked at the pictures of the ship and say, okay, we will try it on the on the very uh, low deck because usually you have not that much motion there and you have space. But of course, in this case, it was completely packed full and uh, constantly getting water over it. Okay, we will not lower him there. And the patient was waiting just behind the bridge at this very high point. And uh, I said, okay, we we tried to to lower the doctor. And the pilot asked me, yeah, can you please? Uh, lower the doctor first with his pack and he should just check if he um he needs medical attention on scene or he can just pack him into the rescue seat and get him out of there so don't lower both rescues and then we got there lowered him was tricky but okay and standard standard voice procedure and we picked him when we picked him up we had this uh, very old hoist system still on the 76, this old Waddell hoist, which was later bought by British Eastern. And they, they were super slow. I think empty speed was 60 centimeters uh, a second. So it was very, very slow. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like creeping. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, and, like and, you got a little, little guy up in the in the hoist. I got it. I got it. I'm gonna witch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wish I would have. I could have a helicopter just for training with this hoist because yet you, you had constantly think much, much, in, uh, much forward in front of what happening. Because if you have a pitching and rolling ship, you had always really think I I have to be tight and in position when I get this the seven seventh wave height stop. Then yeah. you have to be right on the point. Otherwise, if you already realize that you can't be there at, at this, this moment where the ship just stays for some second, you could already spend some cable again to give the guy slack on, <laughs> on the, on the <laughs> ship. 
that <laughs> tried to creep up to the to these two guys connected to the hook and in this moment the ship just rolled away so i was like two or three meters offset of the point where where they were standing oh, and an enormous swing so i was like we were, we got out of the ship and then it was with two hands like uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got them both into the and to the helicopter and the the patient was just happy to to get safe so he just said nothing the doctor was super stoked so he went into the helicopter and in, in, in german that was so geil so this was super awesome <laughs> <laughs> and it was so loud that the pilot could hear it without intercom, uh, even in a 76B, which is a super noisy helicopter. Said, yeah. oh, okay, sounds is fine. <laughs> the next thing we both said simultaneously, why didn't we use the Highline? And it was oh. like our briefing. We just, we didn't thought about it. It was just, hey, easy ship, easy thing, storm is over. <laughs> and we, it was so hard work to get <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, successful hoist, no matter how you look at it. That's, that's pretty good. I yeah. like that. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Well done, sir, to you and your crew. That's amazing. That is not, not a funny, it's it's not not difficult, more, but more funny story. I remember was, um, uh, yeah, so as a background story, there was uh, all paramedics. They had um, a degree, this, or their degree is known as Rettungsassistent in Germany. What is it and called? Rettungsassistent. Oh. Um, and some years ago, they they completely um, changed the way their paramedics get trained in Germany and what they're allowed to do. So they, uh, back then, they were not allowed to give medicine except in, in emergencies. And uh, that changed. seems a bit of an oxymoron in, in case of emergency. Aren't you, aren't the paramedics going to the emergency? I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it was. So like in Germany, you get, they always send normally an emergency doctor. Oh, and gotcha. Okay, okay. Then give the medicine. So, so emergency means he's there. The guy is probably dying and it takes another one hour to get the doctor there. And as, I've, as far as I know, that was it back then. So they changed this. So they, they, they get now a bit more extensive for training, more extensive yes. training. And that they called now Notfall Sanitators. And I, I don't, I'm not 100% in it, but I, I know that now it's easier for them to give medication. Nice. And back then our uh, existing, so the guys who were working as a paramedic then for 15 years with the old qualification, they, they had to do some courses and some tests to, um, to achieve the next level or get this, this actual qualification. And some of our paramedics, they are working part-time for us. So the guy we had uh, on this day is uh, normally working as a combat medic for the German armed forces. The very proficient and yeah. tough and strong and big guy. <laughs> and uh, we had a call out for, uh, for a stroke. And I, I don't remember if it was a construction vessel or a, a platform, but it was a woman with a stroke. And flew out to the platform. So for me, it was clear it will be pretty boring because we were not hoisting <laughs> at the scene. Landed there, and then if I can, and I always helped help the medics um, if, if I can if I, when, when, when we have a mission where we can land. So um, I took my what they gave me to carry, brought it to the to the place, and it was like a, like a living room on the ship or whatever it was. I don't remember really. 
And you could see there was this woman sitting and she looked really weird into the room. And I thought at first, okay, yeah, there's, there's something really wrong with her. So the doctor went there and asked him if I could, after he assessed the patient, what, what uh, I can help them. And I said, yeah, prepare the stretcher. So I prepared the stretcher together with the, with the medic. We packed her in her and uh, in the stretcher. And it was a pretty tight stairway, which was cool in that case because this um, paramedic is working for uh, in the Navy and there is this team is, is um, they're super proficient and do this um, yeah carry a patient inside a ship in this um, sketchgo type stretcher yeah so they have a lot of awesome techniques to get them to narrow spaces so we brought her up to the to the um, platform loaded her into the helicopter and I noticed already there that always when the when the medic was she she always got a second where she panicked then and wanted to stay up and and he was putting carefully the hand on her chest and say he calm down everything is okay and give her like a yeah yeah <laughs> thumbs a little thumbs up, up. Hey, thumbs up yeah. it's okay <laughs> and it was super weird because always in the second when 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 he gave her the thumbs up she panicked completely she was like something really wrong with her and um, the doctor said nothing. So it was on the flight back. She, she panicked always. And then I, 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 he was looking out of the window and I made the sense of, hey, everything okay with her? And he was like, yeah, it's okay. And so it was a flight of 40 minutes to the hospital and just this thing was repeating for two or three times. So she wants to stay up. The medic put her down, gave her a thumbs up. She panicked completely. And the hospital <laughs> delivered to hospital, got out, and it was, uh, what was the problem with her? So I think you have, uh, she had no medication. What what was the thing? And he said, there was no stroke. It was just, uh, it sounded like she was really homesick, really badly homesick, and uh, was getting a little, little bit psychologically disabled at this time. So what the guys on the, on the ship did, they called their um, telemedical service, which was somewhere in Scandinavia. And I don't know where the problem was, if they gave their the doses or they, they advised the doses or if they misunderstood the doses from the medical service. So they gave their kid a nest for a 85 kilo guy and she was like 54 kilograms. Oh, <laughs> it was oh very no. busy at this point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's a medication error. That's not good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh no. And, and then the next day that the paramedic came to the morning briefing and he said he left his, his ass off the night afterwards because she, uh, he uh, read this, uh, this um, course to get this upgrade in his uh, paramedic license. And at this day, he, he read uh, like international affairs to what to do or what can be difficult with other national nationalities. And at this evening, he read that in some Asian countries, I couldn't confirm the internet. But, uh, it could something up could mean, "Hey, I want to fuck you." Oh. <laughs> and, and he said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe because she was so hard on the medics, she did not understand what he was on. So this brick of a guy was leaning over her and was like, "Ah, don't stop!" <laughs> she She's up. like, "No, that's not what I want." <laughs> yeah, that, that was really her reaction. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, that is terrible. <laughs> uh, poor woman. <laughs> oh, dang, that's that's funny. That's funny right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, Simon. <laughs> 
Man, even a landing case can be hilarious. That's yeah. that's awesome. Man. Wow. Well, I will keep going at all that you want. So if you've got any more, you're more than welcome to share them. If not, we can move on to like anything you want to pass on anybody else. So it's up to you. Yeah, one thing I also wanted to ask you is how how is this with the with the wind farms going in, in the US? I've seen here after the first wind offshore wind park staying there. Is it uh, is it government service or is it like like in because in our country it was like they they built it and they thought okay uh, we have our first responders on the turbines or on the on the working team and if something big happens we call SAR and uh, the government SAR and then one year later the government said hey that's like a big industrial site so you have to provide your own rescue until to the hospital that's when when these two um, civil companies started doing this. I've seen this now the same thing in UK as well. So they first started and I thought, oh, Bristol will cover it. But and they said, yeah, we, we will try our best, but it's not not in our contract that we have to um, provide rescue for the winter events. So I, at the, I don't know, actually. I don't okay. have a clue. I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't actually been uh, the only yeah, no, I haven't been on any of the wind farm stuff that's going on in the States. Um Actually, my conversation with Kim was was very enlightening as far as what you guys are doing up there. So it's I, I really have no idea. <laughs> okay. So sorry, man. I will yeah. find out for you and I will I'll make a couple phone calls and find out who's doing what out in the States. Uh, but, I, sure. It would be interesting to see because it's the one of the, the bigger problems we're facing there is that um so like normally offshore rescue, you go on a boat and the crew will help you to, to, to get someone in the stretch and you hoist them off of off the ship. But there you have uh, what, what the customers also request and what is really necessary is all this rope access stuff. So they actually asked our uh, so paramedics now to become rope access licensed guys. Because when, as soon as you enter the wind turbine, it's the same like onshore. You have to probably to get a guy with a heart attack out of the wing or out of the hub of the turbine or um completely through the turbine up or down to the to get into a ship i mean there's also this transition piece which is also you need a um to have a, a good or a procedure to hoist someone uh, with an angle of 15 degrees of the of the wind turbine transition piece so from the foundation yep. so a lot, a lot of special stuff and i i would like to know if uh i mean in germany that's uh, the oldest uh, or yeah, the, the, the country which started first, which is offshore wind farms and bigger scales. But it always would be interesting to hear how, how other countries handle it or what they're doing. Because sometimes you're just stuck in, you, in the way you're thinking. And I always try to reassess this and yeah, see if uh, there's something you can improve for. You know, for anybody out there that has some information, man, send us an email. Because um, I, I personally don't know. I, I don't deal with that a whole lot. But I, uh, I like I said, I'll reach out. To a few people I know and see what we can find out. Maybe we can get you guys in touch with each other and who knows, make a new policy. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, Have you guys I, ever had any problems with anybody like having to actually do like a rescue off the wind turbine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. What usually happens? Uh, it's it's big big industry so you have you have heavy moving parts or so have everything from a heart attack to heat stroke because of the emergency suit to um two guys with electrical shock at a time 
Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Or uh, burns, head injuries. So I, 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 there was another mission with a, with a head injury where a guy got a hatch on his head and first it sounded pretty bad because on the flight out there, the coordination center um, called us three times on the flight out if he could not hurry up and or speed up to to be faster there. And we all were like, well, what's going on there? And yeah, at ahead, the point we arrived at the turbine and the, we had the coordinates, the number of the turbine was right, but the turbine was also in hoist position, but there was no one there. And I was like, fuck, if we lower the, the doctor on the wrong turbine, will we lose at least 15 minutes uh, for the guy if, if he's on another one? And they were in this area with three other turbines in, in hoist position. So we had to call back then the coordination center if they could call the medical team on the turbine to send someone up to, to confirm that it's the right turbine. And afterwards, it wasn't that bad with the guy. And the RSA, yeah, we, we were below the hatch we could hear you hovering above us but we didn't knew if we could should step out or not <laughs> really <laughs> oh my goodness come on boys yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i always find it funny when the uh, coordination the coordination center calls you and it's like hey go faster I'm like i'm yeah. already like at max speed wait we need go faster you know I mean like airwolf it and hit the you know the afterburners come on man <laughs> Uh, uh, and in this case we could do something because normally we cruise with the with the 129 at another 140 knots and um if, if the fuel allows us we could uh, fly them with max continuous power and get a little bit time extra it's not much it's, it's minutes but sometimes i mean if they say he's really unconscious and he's passing away then um maybe just five minutes are <laughs> making yeah. a difference so. oh yeah yeah, five minutes. It's a it's one, maybe two hoist, depending on how how fast and good you are. The altitude checklist and whatnot. But yeah. yeah. Um, now, are you hoisting them right off the top of the wind term, the the wind turbine itself, or is it like off the boat more often? Like which is which is a more often winch? Yeah, more hoist? more more missions are definitely from the boats because if you have something um, like. Yeah, they they have a heart attack or something. So they start feeling something, and then they already try to get off off the turbines. Yeah, and um, then you you reach them on the boat, or you get them on the boat. So they have the small crew transfer vessels, so CTVs, which are mostly twenty seven to thirty meter catamarans. So oh wow! Okay, yeah, boats. They're pretty fast, but um. Yeah, the, the, the farms, they're pretty far out. So usually you have to already two meters well or so constantly. And then it's they, they can be tricky. And so especially at night, they are they were tricky. So we had a case some weeks ago where they also had to drop them the highline because <laughs> they got the, the the patient with the doctor on board and um, they, they picked up the medic. And uh, the uh, CTV was driving uh, backwards into the swell with the Highland on board. And the moment where, so pitch black night, no references other than the ship. And at the moment where they got the, <laughs> the medic off the, the ship, Highline still on the boat, the, the captain just gave full throttle and the pilot said he could just see the boat from going this, like uh, from, from going this, was going like that and oh out of his sight and i <laughs> <just> <laughs> told the horse operator to drop the, the highline and 
Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. That's crazy. That was not so not so nice. <laughs> wow. Now the catamaran that you guys have to hoist to, that's a standard uh boat for all the guys to go for transport between each um it, turbine. It's uh yeah, this, this type of boat. So in the beginning when they started, uh, they they even used a modified fish trawler to do that. But this catamaran catamaran type um seems to to prove the best type of boat for for that type of, of service so they they have then ladders going from the ocean up to the transition piece so the transition piece is where the um, foundation ends so the part which is rammed into the bo ocean bottom yeah then you have uh, like a reeling and a small crane mostly and from that on you you can enter the pole of the turbine and so just the, the CTVs, they drive then full throttle against the foundations or this transition piece, or uh, this, this foundation to, to have a stable contact with the turbine. And then they, the technicians can climb up the ladder on to the to this transition piece and climb, go in in the turbine there. Wow. And that's that's, uh, that's the worst case if someone gets a heart attack or something on this transition piece. And it's not possible anymore to lower him by crane on the ship to bring him away from the turbine so that you can hoist him off the ship. Or most of the turbines they have also elevator. And if you can't get him up there anymore, then um, then it gets difficult because then you need to establish a connection between this transition piece and the helicopter. And you yeah. can't hover exactly above the, the, the reeling. And the bigger your helicopter is, the more difficult is it to, to get you there. So with a really small helicopter, you could probably um, hover very close to the to the um, to the reeling and lower the, the rescuer on the hook so that he can throw a, a grapple hook or something. Right. But um, for me, when when we assessed it, I, I said it's uh, it's for me not reliable enough because it depends so much on the on the physical performance of the rescuer at this time because someone can throw 10 meters another one can throw maybe just two meters or so yeah so that's not nothing reliable or something reliable where you say okay we can go out and pick up it doesn't matter with which which crew is on duty that day so um what we are doing we are uh, they have always a throwing line with them and uh, so they can put this throwing this pilot line on the on the transit on a ctv and the CTV will back them out from the turbine so that we can lower the, the highland on the CTV. They can connect the two lines and get the, the highland on the on the transition piece. Wow. But we also try to what <laughs> was my my preferred idea. But um yeah, <laughs> my boss were a little bit concerned about us to, to shoot the, the highline directly with a line launcher out of the helicopter to the transition. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I can see it. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things I like to do is is connect like one or two weight bags to the end of my line and just swing it, and then yeah. more and then more you swing and then just drop it right on with your weight bags. But um, the other thing that I've I've done as well that that might help you guys out a little bit is you take uh say your rescue guy or your whoever's getting lower down on the hoist tuck, you get down to a certain point and they just hold hold position so they're eagle either even with or like maybe five or 10 feet above or like one or two meters above the, the deck of the actual uh, the platform and go as close as you can. And then from there, it's like a, a shouting distance. I'm like, Hey, catch this. And then you just throw your line to them on deck. Just don't miss. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's the distance is um, 
difficult. So we should stay away five meters with the roller tips. I like like also it's it's a minimum distance from uh, for for the um, authorities yeah. to to a thing. Yes, yeah, so so I think it's um, it's difficult if you would put a procedure in place where you have to violate this five meters. I mean, if you're um, on right. a mission and you have to do it and the crew says, hey, we were fine with it, then it's okay. But if you already present from beginning on that you have to go closer, then it's it's difficult to do this as a company. Uh, we have to push the people to that yeah. point. So, Which five meters, when you think about it, is not, it's not actually that, that far away. It's only 15 feet, give or take. Yeah. You know, you're not... I mean, I, I like to be 20 feet away from every obstacle right in there. So I like to be five meters away as it yeah. is. So to get in, man. And it's uh, the, the thing is um, also with the swinging. So I think the, the problem was that it was in the very beginning when they built the first wind farms in the German Northeast sector, there was one case where they had the guy, I think it was a heart attack on this transition piece. And at this time, I think... They didn't even have the civil helicopters in place. So this German search and rescue seeking was responding to that call. Okay. And they then tried really to, they, they put every line they had together and tried so to stay above the, um, the turbine housing and to swing the the um, the high line to the transition piece and then worked it that day because we tried it several times to do it with a lot of weight bags. But especially above 25 knots of wind, you usually you get one swing and then it slowly yeah. gets back into the wind. And then I say, okay, oh. it's not it's not reliable as well. And yeah. Um, so this boat solution is until now for us the, the most reliable thing. Just shooting, we tried also just, just shooting with a line launcher. And uh, first you tried to shoot a just just or yeah, I googled line launchers, so I took the first thing. At first, I saw I've seen shotguns, so I thought, "Hey, that's awesome!" <laughs> we got a Mossberg 500. Uh, Let's see then, how that goes in the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, okay. that was that was good. Uh, but no, so we we tried a, a messenger line line launcher, and we did two shots with it at the airfield at 20 knots and this just pilot line was just everywhere so it was circling around with like like this within two meters so, okay this is not not nice to have under uh rotodis yeah and uh so i did a little bit deeper research and i found that there are some line launches made for combat divers to when they dive to a boat to shoot um uh, a ladder or whatever on a, on a ship and they were quite powerful wow and there are two types so we tried this this actually work you can shoot a, a like a 30 millimeters um 30 millimeter high line like 20 meters um, distance wow but that's pretty good they have some some recoil so i was so we did also some some test flying with it and was i love that idea <laughs> but uh, I've, I've definitely seen this this group here a shitload of training yeah well you could it, it's it's a lot of gear you have to pack on top on the helicopter so like this line launcher is then 10 kilograms you have to check every oh, day wow. the, the the um the pressure on on the the launcher and it's 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 not i can't remember if we have ever had to do this in, in, on a real mission 
And then you, if you outweigh them, the training, you need to get everyone to safe operation of this line wash. And personally, for aiming or so, I would like to have it completely free, like like uh, you shoot a, a rifle out of the helicopter. Yeah. But then you have always the danger that someone at some point could hit the rotor disc with it. So then you need some some type of restraint system or lafette which limits the angle of the muzzle. And then you have another thing in your in your cabin lying around. And right. So um, I'm still not sure if this is a hundred percent solution. I mean, if the thing is, we are uh, we are private operators. So if the customer asks for it and the customer pays for it, then of course, why not? If it's safe. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I would I would like to do it as a personal project. <laughs> what I can see it if the company says, hey, no, no. <laughs> yeah we'll see let me know send me a video <laughs> yeah i have, have somewhere a picture because on the first uh, so we invited the two companies to present their line launch and the first company was as uh, some norwegian company i don't know it was summer so i had just a t-shirt on and we fired some shots and it had a really good kick and i thought hey, after two hours so it's still burning somehow and like, oh, oh, there's blood. <laughs> so I had a cut just from the. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> we need to pad that. Pad the yeah, shoulder. And, and then it's again, you have to. Every one of your employees, so every hoist operator, has to be able to handle that thing in the proper way without fear to shoot it. So, yeah, it would be a difficult thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I volunteer to try. All right, just. Yeah, it was when we tried it on the airfield. It was like, hey, have you, have you seen this thing trial? Oh, I've shot this and just collaborated already. So, boom! Oh, oh, that was that was more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's hilarious! <laughs> Especially the presentation of the second one because the the head I was with the head of crew training and. Um, the representative of the company in a small room at the same uh, uh, roof panels like like you have in your office in the back. So yeah, he was disassembling this whole thing, and it was really like military style. So he, this is our line launcher. This is how you do the field maintenance. And we thought, yeah, we want just to see how far we can shoot with it, or if we consider it or not. Yeah, but yeah, this is we just put this out, and you have just to replace this O-ring once in a I don't know, blah blah blah. Put it all together and there was one part laying on the floor and i was like is this missing there somehow and he was proceeding with the thing a presentation and put the pressure cartridge in it and pressurized the chamber and i said there's still this thing and bam <laughs> really like in these movies after after explosion they go beep and the dust was the dust was raining from the from the roof panels. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry, sorry, that was so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, that's funny. Yeah. The things that happen at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's oh. better than an office job, definitely. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, way better than an office job for sure. Man, that's funny. Man, Simon, I, thanks for sharing all these stories. Um, I, I'll leave it open to you as far as any advice you want to give to anybody that, that wants to get all the way to where you're at, whether it's hoisted harbor pilots or down to wind farms, search and rescue in Germany. 
you know, whatever you want to tell the, uh, the guys coming up or people that are interested. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I'm... Right. Way to keep it general. Yeah. I do it on yeah. purpose. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I'm blank. <laughs> yeah. Keep trying. But I think it's 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 getting easier to get into it because there's a high demand on, on hoist operators. So um yeah, I, I see it all the time where we have to try more often to get new guys in. And um especially this this winter and stuff, because then I think all over the world they will realize that it's uh, one of the better devices to bring the technicians on the turbine is the helicopter and i think to get into it this is this is um yeah a great operation i mean it's it's a for me it's still a big difference if, if someone applies with six thousand hoist cycles on a turbine or if he has one thousand cycles on ships or in the mountains because it's it's pretty controlled you always have the same spot you have always the same height but um I think you're you're not afraid of helicopters anymore. And yeah, stuff. definitely. I think, I think this is was um, operation where you where where is a high demand, and this this will definitely grow. And I think that's a good thing to start with at the end. Yeah. yeah. Well, perfect. Yeah. So stand by for wind farm hoisting. Come on, let's go hiking. <laughs> yeah. Simon, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. I, I, you know, I really appreciate the stories and, and the, just the insight about everything that you guys do over there, man. This is, this has been awesome. So thank you. Thank you. for. Yeah. I will be in touch with you uh, with what I can find out from the States with the whole wind farm thing. And like I said, if anybody out there could give me a little direction as far as what they do, man, get us in touch with each other and we'll, we'll start making contacts. It'd be beautiful. All right. All right. Sweet. All right, brother. I'll catch you later. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at therealrescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember... When that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>